Thank you, Brother McMurtry. It's a joy to be with you. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm at my age. I'm glad to be anywhere. And uh, Brother McMurtry is trying to skip around the fact that I'm old. But those don't happen if you don't get old. And uh, I, uh, you know, you're getting old when it takes longer to sit down than it does to get up. And you know you're getting old when it takes longer to rest than it does to get tired. <laughs> and I am there. But, uh, I, you know, I praise the Lord that uh, I am old. I'm glad I haven't had to take the alternative. I pastored for 21 years and the ladies used to always gripe about their birthdays, and I say, "Well, you want the alternative?" And none of them ever said yes. But uh, I'm so glad to be here, and, and and like my old mentor always said, I'm just glad to be anywhere. <laughs> and I asked an elderly man not long ago, I said, "How you doing this morning?" He said, "Well, I woke up and wasn't looking at roots." So, <laughs> so uh, that that explains it pretty good. You know, uh, I grew up in in uh, I grew up in church, and uh, I grew up in a holy house. I, that's what I always called it. We were very Puritan in our in our training and our teaching, and uh, you know we were free will Baptists growing up. And if you were a free will Baptist and you said a bad word, you might go to hell. <laughs> so, so uh, there was no bad words said around. Can y'all hear me in the back? No. No. Uh, keep it close. Can I hold it? Can I hold it? Okay. Can you hear me now? Well, praise the Lord. We got Verizon in now. Okay. All right. So, uh, no, somebody said they couldn't hear me in Sunday school, so I'm sorry. I don't like to talk and not be heard. But uh, I grew up in church and uh, grew up in a very holy house. My Mother and father taught us to be pure and sanctified and all of that. And uh, I thank God that I did. Uh, a lot of things were a sin back then, but there's nothing sin anymore. And uh, But uh, everything, you know, a lot of things were sin. You just you just didn't do a lot of things uh, when we was growing up. But I, I grew up, in a, as I said, in a free will Baptist church, and our pastor... He was an elderly man. I got saved in 1956, and our pastor was probably uh, in his, oh, he was uh, pushing 80 then. But he was a mountain windsucker. You know, we got windsuckers and we got hackers. And people say, what is the difference in a windsucker and a hacker? Well, a hacker goes, ah, ah, ah. And a windsucker goes <laughs> while they're preaching, and uh, they really get in a big way, you know. And, and bless God, and the Lord said, and, and you have to put up with that through all the preaching. But uh, a lot of people think you're not preaching if you're not doing that in the mountains. And uh, I preached at our decoration Sunday one time back in Madison County, where I'm from, and they asked me if I would come and preach, and. Uh, so I rushed down there after church, and we had our dinner on the ground, and then had preaching. And one of my uncles got up and patted me on the shoulder and said, "Pretty good little talk, boy." <laughs> I 
I thought I'd really shell the corn, Brother Tom. <laughs> but uh, our preacher was a windsucker. And uh, he'd walk around the pulpit down there and he'd walk back up. And one night, is in the summertime, and we didn't have any air conditioner. Well, I, I never felt air conditioner in my life then. And the windows were open, the doors were open. And he just walked around the pulpit. And he went, <laughs> and I was sitting about where you are there, brother. And there was a moth came straight in the back door and right down the middle of the aisle. And it looked like a B-1 bomber. And just as he went, that moth landed on his tonsils. <laughs> and he was coughing and dust from that moth just boiling out of his mouth. He was spitting out wings and everything else. Needless to say, the church service was over because he was choked about to death. So he said uh, he was a stranger and I took him in. And and, uh, I was always... you know, when when I was about Logan's age, I was always uh, I, I'd laugh. I mean, honestly, I mean anything funny, I laugh. You know, I can watch funniest videos and watch people fall and just sit there and double over. If you fall and get killed, I'll laugh at you. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's funny. And so, so I was uh, I was always. If you laughed in church when I was Logan's age, you was going to hell. Preacher never said nothing funny. Ever. And if you laughed, buddy, you was in danger of hellfire, no doubt. And I was always trying to hold it back. And I'd go, <laughs> Did you ever do that, Logan? And, <laughs> and, and, and uh, uh, needless to say, my dad heard me. And when I got home, my dad was one of the most patriotic men I've ever known. He put on the straps and I saw the stars. <laughs> but, but, but he took a, 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 you probably don't know what a razor strop is. It has two pieces of leather with a buckle on the end of it about that wide and each leather was about that thick and they used it to sharpen razors on. But I never saw my daddy sharpen a razor on it in my life. Time I was born, a safety razor had come along, but he had it hanging in the kitchen to sharpen two boys. And he sharpened me that night, real sharp. I felt real sharp, Logan, as I come out. Have you ever felt sharp? <laughs> Amen. And uh, but but praise the Lord. I grew up in church and uh, learned the truths of church and how important church was. But some of the funniest things happened in church. That I mean, just people weren't so sophisticated back then, and just funny things. We used to have a fellow named Mark Stone, and he'd sit about right there where you are, Brother Manis, and uh, he'd go and listen to the preacher. And we'd we'd make you know us kids, we, you know, you know how kids are, and uh, we was always going sitting in church going. <laughs> And one night the preacher was preaching and he's preaching on the judgment. And he said, and uh, he'll put the uh, sheep on the right side and the goats on the left. And Art went, bah. <laughs> 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 
Wouldn't you like to go to a church like that? Amen. Amen. Wouldn't be any more than minutes in there, would they? Praise the Lord. But I've always enjoyed church and enjoyed the, the funny things of church. Turn with me, if you will, today to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 16. I've been praying about just what the Lord would have us to do. And I believe I've gotten direction from Him. And I pray that this will help you, church, Brother McMurtry, and be of help to all of us. In the 16th book, chapter of the book of Acts, I believe this is the greatest missions passage in the Bible. Acts chapter 1-8, of course, is a great mission passage. And you shall be witness unto me uh, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is a great missions verse. Now, as we look at Acts 16, we're seeing the beginning of the first church. The first Gentile churches. And in Acts chapter 16, we see here that Paul is writing about Macedonia or Philippi. And of course Paul wrote the book to the Philippian church. And I call it the Psalms of the New Testament. The book of of, uh, Philippians. But here we find that in verse 5. And this is our mission verse with International Baptist Outreach Missions. Uh, You've had Brother Spencer Smith here who is our field missionary to Kenya. Uh, Great work going on in Kenya. We have now started uh, something like uh, 72 churches in Kenya. We have a Bible college there with dormitories that will sleep 80. And uh, God is just doing a great work in Kenya. And uh, But as I, I read this passage, I see a great, great, great missionary endeavor going on here. And you know what the purpose of this church is? You're all missionaries. If you're saved, you're a missionary. By the way, Brother McMurtry, your wife just blesses me playing that piano. Wow. You married a church pianist. And boy, that's what all pastors should... uh, That should be one of the first prerequisites I'm looking for a wife. But man, she's good. She puts excitement in the the service. And I, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, for Sister McMurtry. But uh, the church, your primary mission is getting the gospel out. It's getting the gospel to the world, to the unheard, the ones that have never, never heard the gospel. And guess what? They're not all in Kenya. They're not all in Mexico. They're just down the street. There's people that's never, never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. In your town. They're all around you. And guess what? They, you won't know where they are unless you start telling people. Uh, it's amazing how many people that I, that I meet. And I, 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 I begin to tell them about how to be saved. And they've never heard. <coughs> and by the way, only the ones that the Lord has been dealing with and prepare are the ones you're going to lead to the Lord. Now how do you know... which ones are prepared by the Lord. And that's not Calvinism. That's just Bible. Got to be experienced. No conviction. No repentance. 
No repentance, no salvation. So the three work hand in hand. Repentance comes along after conviction and then salvation. But how do you know who is under conviction if you don't tell them? I find people all the time that are just ripe for the plucking. I start telling them about Jesus and man, they almost take it away from you. And I, I like it like that. I mean, they've been already, the Holy Ghost has been working on them. But right here in, 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 uh, in, in verse 5 of Acts 16, the Bible says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. The churches, that's our, our verse for International Baptist Outreach Missions, is Acts 16.5. And so were the churches established in the faith. There is the faith. You go to the book of Ephesians 4 and verse 5 and it talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Thank God Brother Tommy McMurtry and his family came here to Rock Falls. Is that right? Did I say it right? At Rock Falls. And they're established in a church in the faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the faith is so important. And so here we are this morning in this church in the faith. And I look around in two years and see the number that are here. I'm excited, brother. What a blessing. Praise the Lord. God has blessed you tremendously. But you read on over in verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, you say, the Holy Ghost would forbid you to preach the Word of God somewhere? Well, I can take you on down in the passage and I'll show you why He said, don't stop in Asia. They're not going to listen. I've got some folks down here by the riverside in Philippi that's going to hear you preach and they're going to get saved. So don't stop in Asia. Go on down to Philippi. Uh, there's going to be fruit born in Philippi. And praise God, I want to go where the fruit is, brother. I want to go where the fruit is. Uh, most of our churches around the world, we start in large, large cities. And I asked the fellows, did you rather fish in an aquarium, a lake, or an ocean? Amen? Yes. But we, we start in the large cities so we can reach the villages from the large cities. That's what we do. And it's just like Lighthouse Baptist Church has reached over here into Rock Falls out of their church. Praise the Lord. That's the way God wants it and that's the way it works. But you notice, he says in verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia and the Spirit gathered, uh, suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after we had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering <coughs> that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So he said, we went to Macedonia, Philippi, and we preached. 
Now when Paul went down by the riverside, they just sailed around there. Paul just always took on his missionary journeys and just started going and whatever God did, God did. I do not believe, Brother McMurtry, that Paul ever set out to start churches. I don't believe he had any idea exactly what was going to happen. He was just going to preach the gospel. And when he and everywhere Paul went, we find this. There was usually three things in his trail. There was a riot, a revival, and a church. He just went to preach. And in his trail, there was a riot, a revival, and a church. And that's what we've endeavored to do with our mission work in the last 17 years. We have planted 177 churches worldwide. We have four Bible colleges that we have planted and started and maintained, training men and women to work in ministry and to go out and start churches worldwide. And God has tremendously blessed. We have built buildings for these people on the foreign fields in the third world countries. And probably somewhere in the 70s, I haven't counted exactly, but we have built them buildings averaging at about $18,000 a building. You say, where does that come from? From people like you. From churches like you. People that get a burden and a church will say, I want to build a building on the mission field. And they'll build the building. They'll support the pastor for three years. That's, that's how long we support them. But there's somebody crying, come over and help us. All around the world, somebody's crying, come over and help us. I was called to preach in 1970. July the 9th, 1970. <coughs> I, uh, by the way, glad to have my grandson Josh here with me. He's... Uh, just graduated from high school. He's 18 years old and come up to be in football camp with me this week. But glad you're here, Josh. We love him and enjoy traveling with him very much. But you know what? When I was called to preach, I was scared to death God was going to call me to missions. And I was so afraid God would call me to missions. I did not want anything to do with being a missionary. I dare you to ever tell God you won't do anything. <laughs> I dare you. Well, uh, I didn't tell him I wouldn't be a missionary. I was just scared I would be called to missions. So I had a pastor's heart. I went out and started the church from scratch, from zero, me and my wife and two kids. And uh, we started the church in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, that church is thriving today. Pastors there now served with me for 14 years, and he's now the pastor. The church has had two two pastors in 38 years. Pretty good, amen. Still thriving, still going. But uh, I uh, I wouldn't go to the mission field. I would not go to the mission field. I was afraid God would call me to the mission field. I think all pastors ought to go. Not that they'd be called, but they get the burden. Mine eye doth affect mine heart. So I wouldn't go. I just absolutely wouldn't go. And so <clears throat> over in Egypt, there was a minister there that we had been supporting. And uh, a, a fellow there in the church in El Agami, Alexandria, led a 22-year-old lady to the Lord. And uh, uh, she was a Muslim. She, she got saved. The Muslims don't relate to salvation. But when you baptize somebody, that's when they, that's it. You have become an infidel. 
So her family went to the police and complained. The police came to Boutrous' house, who was the influence in her getting saved, came to his house about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, banged on the door, bursted the door in, put him in handcuffs, blindfolded him, and took him away. His two little girls and his wife standing there, crying, screaming, and did not know if they would ever see their daddy again or their husband. You see, in Egypt, there is an underground prison that they have put Christians and believers in for years and years and years, and nobody's ever seen them again. They thought that's where their daddy was going. So, we begin to pray here in America. Well, they kept him in a dungeon for five days and nights. They kept him blindfolded, kept him handcuffed. He had no coat, no blanket. And in Alexandria, Egypt, in the wintertime, it does get cold. I've been there in houses that has no heat, taking a shower and freezing to death. I'd suffer for Jesus. <laughs> Amen. That's what we think. And, but Boutrous was suffering for Jesus. He was in prison. He was in jail. We began to pray. Well, five days later, miraculously, they let Boutrous go. Well, uh, a ministry that worked with Boutrous asked our congressman in our district if he would send one of his representatives, one of his aides, to Egypt to see if he could get Boutrous freed. And they closed, let me say this, when they arrested Boutrous, there was a hundred policemen went into his church and another independent Baptist church 15 miles down the way and closed the doors. They put an orange seal canvas on both church doors and that is a police seal in Egypt and if you cross it, you're shot. There's no questions asked. Nobody has to answer for it. The police kill you. You're dead. So nobody's crossing the line at the church. So the people are dispersed. They, they don't have anywhere to go to church. They're scattered. Well, they stopped halfway between at a Muslim mosque and closed the doors there because it was a mosque that was filled with Al-Qaeda. And Egyptians back in that day drove all of Al-Qaeda out of Egypt so that they could say they were fair in closing two churches and one mosque. Okay? The ministry asked Congressman Charles Taylor of our 11th Congressional District if he would send one of his aides to Egypt to see if he could meet with the governor of Alexandria and open the church doors. Well, something happened to his aide. Charles Taylor has been a longtime friend of mine, and he asked me if I would go in his place. Well, I wouldn't go on a mission trip, but watch what God's doing. And I, so I said, yeah, I'll go. I was excited about that because I was going as a representative, a diplomat with the Congress of the United States. I went through the embassy. They set up all my appointments. They set up the appointment with the governor. And I, I went as a representative of the Congress of the United States. Now, that was exciting to me. I think if I had not been a preacher, that I would have surely been a politician. <laughs> Amen. Because I have lacked to try to affect this country of ours and make it free. And so, 
Anyway, uh, another young preacher went with me. And uh, we got into Egypt, got into Alexandria, went to, or went to Cairo, went through the embassy, got all our appointments set up with the Governor Alguiski of Alexandria, Egypt, which is, is a, it's a city, but it's also a state. There are states in Egypt, just like uh, in, in Illinois is a state here, and that was the state of Alexandria, which he was the governor of. Well, we got there and got in the hotel in Alexandria after going through the embassy in Cairo. We got into the hotel in Alexandria, and the preacher that was, we were just staying in the same room. Had two double beds in the room. We were staying in the same room, and so uh, we found out by a roundabout way, God revealed to us that our room was bugged. And uh, uh, the story gets too long if I tell it all. But we began to speak pig Latin. <laughs> Anybody here speak pig Latin? Oh yeah, expand pay that huh? Yes, yeah. Huh? Amen. <laughs> it's good language if you don't want anybody to know. So when I was in church as a teenager, we used to man, I could fly that stuff off. And uh, so we started speaking in pig Latin. He ended up all night under the pillow more than he ended up out of the pillow. Now we were just laughing and having a time. I can imagine what they were trying to do to translate that pig Latin. And so next morning. Uh, we had a Mercedes Benz come pick us up. He carried the attaché case. What a case wasn't one thing in the attaché case, but we played the role. <laughs> and uh, he was my attaché carrier. And uh, didn't need anything in the attaché case. We went down. We we got in the Mercedes. Had a policeman in the right side and had a, a chauffeur. And we drove up in front of the 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 governor's mansion. And there were four. Uh, there were eight. Guards standing up and down the steps, four on each side. They jerk the door open. We get out and we start through the governor's uh, his his headquarters there. Big long halls and everywhere we went, there was one standing where we had to turn a corner. One standing like this, saluting us. And we got in there and sit down in the uh, secretary's uh, the reception room. And she said, uh, "Governor will be with you in just a moment." So we sit there, and I leaned over to the brothers with me, and I said, Do you ever feel like Aaron and Moses down here saying, Let my people go? <laughs> I was just having a time. And so we went in there, and the governor sat down, and we small talked a few minutes. And before I left, Congressman Taylor told me, he said, uh, we, I, I've got a little ammunition for you. He said, We have just given the city of Alexandria $500 million to rebuild their sewage system. You did. And uh, it's funny, sewage is still running in the streets of Alexandria. I mean, up to the top of the sidewalk, sewage today. Walk out of Boutrous's house and seeping up out of the ground. Where'd your five million go? Five hundred million go. So we went in there and was talking to him, and he began to. Uh, I, I said, Governor, we are here to ask you to open those two churches, those two Baptist churches that you were closed. And he flew angry. And those Egyptians, they talk in their throats. He said, no church. No church. No license. And about that time I said, uh, Governor, Congressman Taylor says, with his regards, they're happy that they could give you the $500 million to rebuild your sewage system. He said, oh, thank you. Thank you, the people of America. I said, well, will you open the churches? He said, no churches. No churches. We left. 
No churches did not open. We were having a meeting of Egyptian pastors. There was about 150 of them in a meeting we were preaching to. They were waiting on me anxiously to get back to see. And the pastor of the church that was closed, one of them was the moderator, was waiting on me to get back. And they were so so excited. They thought, I'm going to come in and say the churches are open. But I had to come in and say, the churches are not open. But you know what? When I came back from Egypt, when I prayed, all I could see was Egyptian faces. All I could see was things like the church down from Cairo, Asbad el Nakal. And we drove to that church on one afternoon. We'd met with pastors all day. We drove to that church about a four-hour drive. We left at five. We were supposed to have service at seven. We left Cairo at five. It was a four-hour drive. We get into the car, a little Peugeot. And over there, when the Americans are there, the Egyptian pastors want to go everywhere you go. So there were six of us crammed into that Peugeot. And I was the only one that had on deodorant. <laughs> Under God, I was the only one that had on deodorant. Sort of like a fellow in church that said, somebody deodorant's quit. And the guy beside him said, ain't mine, I don't use it. <laughs> we got in that car and, whew, Lord. And no air conditioner, so thank God the windows are down. And uh, we were riding down the road and Rasmi was driving. And... Uh, uh, Rasmi, uh, you, you've never been in traffic till you've been in Cairo, Egypt. And, and we, we went down and we were going down the Nile River, a two-lane road that runs north and south all the way through Egypt. People running 80 miles an hour, flying, and Rasmi pulls out on the center line with traffic bumper to bumper both ways. 18-wheelers, everything. He pulls out on the center line and he and the truck in front of him pulls over on the shoulder. Just keeps going. Cars on this side, they get over on the shoulder and keep going. We're going down the center line to 80 miles an hour on a two-lane road with heavy traffic both lanes. And I said, rest me. You have signals with your horn. He said, hey, what? That means yes in Arabic. I said, what a beep beep mean? He said, sure, thank you. I said, what does it mean you go beep, 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 He said, get out of the way, I'll run over you. <laughs> An 18-wheeler at Rasmi? He said, yeah, they, they'll move. They'll move. Let me tell you something. My wife has traveled with me, but I would not take her to Egypt for no man's money. I would not put her in an automobile in Egypt. She would have a heart attack and die. There ain't no way. I mean, I mean, she... Uh, here in America, she's got all these noises. <laughs> I mean, I can be driving, and all of a sudden she goes, uh, uh, uh. "What's the matter?" Oh, uh, that that car stopping up yonder got the brake light. Yeah, it's only a half a mile, honey. Yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and and she's got this favorite one. She'll go, <laughs> and as soon as she does, I go, "Whoa!" I say, "You're going to kill us." And, and uh, if she was in Egypt, my goodness, oh man, we'd get divorced. We'd driven different cars to church for 
40 years. And pulled into the church one day and somebody said, why are y'all driving different cars? I said, so I'll be fit to preach when I get here. Amen. <laughs> Some of y'all laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know what? We got to Asbeth on Ackle. And uh, we, uh, excuse me, it's El, 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 El Nino. And we got to El Nino. We pulled out a little alleyway. We pulled out toward the church. There was two men in the alley. And we told them we're there to have service. It's 9 o'clock Friday night. They said, we did not know you were coming. I thought, we've driven down that road. I am gritty. I mean that Egyptian dust. That was like, oh man, you take a rag and wipe and it's like sandpaper. And hot, sweaty, nobody wearing deodorant. And by that time it didn't smell like I had any either. <laughs> and, and I said, I, I, I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? They said, come around here on the back porch and sit down. We went around behind the church, Brother McMurtry, sit down there. And uh, they went and got us a Fanta orange. They got to find Americans a Fanta orange. And it sure was refreshing. It's cold. And so we're sitting back there drinking, and I could hear, over there, tile is as, as, as plenty as this marble. Or, or, or uh, you know, marble is as plenty as your carpets are here. And I could hear feet scuffing, greedy, on that uh, marble floors. At 9.45, they come and said, come on in. Brother McMurtry, I went in there and there's 300 people. In 45 minutes, they had no telephones. They had sent runners. And at 9.45 on Friday night, there were 300 people in the church. I dare you to try it. With cell phones. Uh-huh. But you know what? Women and children sitting over here. Women and children sitting all over mats on the floor. They all sit. Women sit on one side. Men sit over here. Boys and men lining the wall. They start singing. Boy, I mean, when they sing, they sing. They cry and they they weep and they sing the songs of Zion. You talk about exciting song services. All they need added to their song service is Sister Cassandra playing the piano. And buddy, it would be right. And so I got up and I preached for about forty minutes with an interpreter. I made the invitation, and there was I can't remember now exactly how many. But there was something like 60-some souls came and got saved. Do you know what? When I went back home, I could do nothing but see Egyptians. I'd get down to pray and I'd see the Egyptian faces. I would see an elderly lady in a church as I finished preaching. She ran, she got up and we were leaving and we tried to get out always before they would gang us. We couldn't get away. But she ran around the side of the building realized we were leaving. When I got back going out the door, she grabbed my hand and laid it on her head as if pray for me. All I could see was that old woman's face. All I could see was those Egyptians weeping and crying, getting saved.
And through all of that, I didn't go as a missionary, but God knew what He was doing. And I've been in missions in Egypt now since 1994. We have 32 churches in our ministry over there. We have a Bible college there in Alexandria graduating people to start churches in that land that's in turmoil right now. 70% of the people are in the streets right now. But because I went as a representative of the Congress of the United States, God opened up to Egypt to us like it's never been opened. Because I was a representative of the congressman and not on a mission trip. And as I went in there, hey, I had to send them a resume of all of my education, of all of my doctor degrees and my bachelor degrees and everything else. Had to send them a resume before they'd let me work. You know what? God gave us favor with Senator Mohammed Batran, an Egyptian senator. Gave us favor. And it's a long story, which I can't cover it all this morning. But gave us favor. The police in Egypt, I would have to meet with them every time I go to Egypt. And I go in on Sunday night at 10.30 and we just small talk. And the chief of police for the country tells me, you can do anything you want to in Egypt. If anybody gives you any problem in a Muslim country, you call me. You call me. We went down to El Nino, Egypt. We set up a tent that was acres. We had a tent meeting. Nobody's ever done that in Egypt. We set it, set it full of chairs. Three days, tent meeting. Three days, brother. The first day, we had a total of 25,000 in attendance in three days. First day, morning meeting, women and children getting saved. Night meeting, Wednesday night, women and children getting saved. Morning meeting, Thursday, women and children getting saved by the hundreds. Thursday night, women and children getting saved by the hundreds. Friday morning, women and children getting saved. And I said to Boutrous, our partner there, I said, Boutrous, why are no men getting saved? He said, oh, this is farm countries down in Middle Egypt in the Arab desert. And he said, these men are not going to admit they're wrong about anything. I said, not even salvation? He said, not they're lost? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Well, that night, I preached on the rapture. Dr. Richard Smith, our vice president, he and I went to Atlanta, Georgia to get on the plane. And I was checking in, and over there he was checking in. And I looked over, and there were tears running down Dr. Smith's face. And I said, what's wrong? He said, my passport has expired. I said, what? He said to the man, he said, can I go somewhere here in the airport and 
Did he fixed? He said, no, sir. He said, is there anybody here can expedite it? He said, no, sir. He said, sir, you're not going to Egypt today. And he didn't. He had to spend $500 to expedite his passport and came two days later. Dr. Smith was sitting on the platform with me that night as I was preaching to those thousands of Egyptians. And I closed that thing out and I said, folks, here sits Dr. Smith. Of course, I was preaching through an interpreter. Here sits Dr. Smith. And I told him a story about us checking in and the man saying, you're not going to Egypt today. <clears throat> and I said if you don't know Christ as your Savior you don't have the credentials if the rapture takes place today and to make a long story short Brother McMurtry 1500 men stood for salvation 1500 Egyptian men in those three days, we saw a total of 4,000 Egyptians get saved. We started a church there in that city and had 900 members the day we got the last stone laid. And they joined the church. You see, I serve a God that knows how to do it. He can do it anywhere, anytime, at any place, with any people. When God decides He's going to do it, He's going to do it. When we were there, we had a, a secret policeman riding our, our bus. He had an Uzi on the right side and a 9mm Glock on the left side. I wasn't scared of nothing. He looked like Rambo. Honestly. He was big at the top and little bitty at the bottom. And I'm telling you what, he made a march. And you know what? The first service I preached over uh, the, it wasn't at the big meeting it was at another meeting I preached that very same time and he was he, he, he would stand up here behind me he, he, I, he was my bodyguard and he would stand up here behind me like this as I would preach to thousands well this particular venue I was here and the wall was here he couldn't get back there so he went right over there and he sat up on a high seat. And he's supposed to have been watching the congregation. But I noticed as I was preaching, he had his eyes glued on me. He wasn't watching the congregation. And when I made the invitation, he didn't get up and come. Over there, they don't do that. It's a little bit different. We have to operate differently over there. They just stand in response to salvation. But when I made the invitation and I sat down and closed out what I was doing, he looked up at me and he went, <laughs> I thought that then I got saved. But I didn't say nothing. Because he's 100% Muslim working with a secret police. And about two days later we were on our way back to Cairo. And he told Boutrous, our partner there, he said, when Dr. Wendell preached, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Please don't tell anybody. I will lose my job. I will lose my family. You see, when somebody gets saved in some of these places, it's not just a simple, well, I got saved. No, it is laying everything you have on the line. 
Should we get the gospel to them? Yes, we should. I, this, this is oh, so much, so much. But I'm going to close with one other. Let, let me tell you about SIE down in Los Tuxtlas, Mexico. You know where Los Tuxtlas is in Veracruz. Brother SIE graduated from Mount Zion Baptist College, Dr. Kevin Lynn's College. We've assisted 44 of those Mexican people to go out and start churches and built buildings for 25 or 30 of them. Brother SIE was a policeman in Mexico City. Police in Mexico City, they give them a car. And they give them an average of $40 a month. And everything else they make, they got to get it on their own. So the crime in Mexico City is basically the police are the biggest criminals. That's where they make their money. The police have to run their blue lights all night long so they can't hide and do their mischief. Is that right, brother? Blue lights running all night long. This guy was a policeman. Made good money. Got saved. Went and graduated from Mount Zion Baptist College in Mexico City. Dr. Kevin Wynn, the pastor. We assist those men to go out and start churches when they graduate. Brother SIE wanted to go to Los Tuxlas, Mexico, over in the state of Veracruz. Los Tuxlas is one of the most beautiful places in the world. They have a cascada or a waterfall there that's absolutely one of the most beautiful waterfalls. Have you ever seen it, brother? Oh, gorgeous. Mel Gibson's movie was made there about that that. That apocalypto, I didn't see it, but but it was made there. Brother Isai took his wife and his daughter, she was about ten, and he went to that city. A man let him use a little carport to start a church. He went around and knocked on doors. And he said, I will work all day for one plate of food. He had no help, no support. I will work all day for one plate of food so he could go over and carve out a work for Jesus Christ. Wasn't that hard for you, brother, was it? You had people backing you. And people seeing that you didn't go hungry. Praise the Lord, we live in America. But Brother Isai, and he'd eat half of the food, and he'd take the other half home to his wife and daughter. He was over there carving out that work, and Brother Kevin Wynn said, I want you to go meet him. We went over there and had a service, had that little carport field, and had, had a, a, a number of people saved, and we talked to Isai afterward. And we laid... The first month's support in SIA's hand and his, his face just lit up like a sunshine. His wife was so happy. They could now eat. They could now carve out a work for Christ and wouldn't have to starve to death. Wouldn't have to work all day for one plate of food for me and my family. SIA pastors a wonderful great church there in Los Tuxlas now. A great church. 
He runs summer camps there at his church. He's got property. And he got thousands of kids coming there through the summer. Boy, hey, let me tell you something. They're crying, come over and help me. Come over and help me. And give me three more minutes with you. Brother Kevin Wynn said, I want you to go with me to Ocosingo, Mexico, down in Chiapas, the southernmost state, right on the Guatemalan border. And he said, I want you to go meet a man. Went down there and stayed in a hotel in, in uh, Chiapas. Got in a little old Chevrolet car the next morning. Me and Brother Kevin Wynn and Dr. Luther Spivey, our missionary, field missionary to Mexico, and and a, another preacher we picked up in San Cristobal. He was going to show us the way. Well, they told us, said, don't you be in there late at night. It's back through the mountains. And they got speed breakers about that high. See, speed breakers are cheaper than police. So they got speed breakers about that high every so often. And we was going through there and trying to get over those speed breakers in that little old Chevrolet. And it was scraping. I thought the bottom's coming out of this thing. Four big preachers in that little Chevrolet. And, and they said, now if you come back out there at night and you cross those speed breakers, those Sabatistas will run out with their M16, or their, or their AK-47s and they'll stick it in your face and rob you and maybe shoot you. Am I telling the truth, brother? We went back in there. Brother Emilio Sanchez had left Bible college, he and his wife, and went back down there in those mountains, in that mountain town, city, and he was trying to carve out a work for Jesus. And we went down through a little alleyway and had to walk across some cement block and all back there in a little carport thing back there, and they were having church there. Had about had about 50 people on there, and the number got saved that night. But before we got there, as we passed by this little doorway there, and they said, see that right in there? And they shined the light, and there was a few blankets in there on dirt. A dirt floor under a house. And they said, that's where Emilio and his wife, that little girl, were living. You didn't live that way when you come. No. You don't have to live that way, thank God. You see, that's the blessings of God. But Emilio, we preached. A number of people were saved. We sat down with Emilio and his wife and talked to him and laid his first month's support in his hand. We came back out of there. And it was, they said, don't be in there after dark. And it was like, oh, it was 11 o'clock when we came back out of it. We go across those speed breakers, and I was going. I was looking for AK-47 in any minute. But we just started into that Zabatista area. There's a big white two-ton truck, a Zuzu truck. Had blue lights on the top. And he went like this and waved us down. And he pulled out in front of us. And he led us the entire way for one hour and a half through the Zabatistas. We got down to the foot of the mountain on the other side and pulled over to the side of the road and said, we were in the safe zone. And I said, fellas, son of entertain angels unawares, and we just did tonight. God sent us an angel to take us through that dangerous territory. You know what? 
Brother Emilio told us about a year later at our conference in Mexico City. He said, You know the night you came? He said, That day I had no milk for my baby. I had no food for my wife. We were sleeping on a cold dirt floor with a couple of little blankets. He said, I told God, that day, I'm done after these Americans leave tonight. And he said, you laid that first support in my hand. And today, there's a beautiful church on the side of the mountain. They've even started two more churches in those mountains. You know what? There's somebody around the world crying, come over and help me. Come over and help me. And that's all we're trying to do is come over and help, 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 help. The world is crying, tell me about Jesus. Those Mexicans have heard nothing but religion and heard beads and and crosses and, and Virgin Marys walking in the street. 15 or 20 of them in parades in a, at certain times of the year. They've heard nothing. You know what? You can drive up. we got churches up north of Mexico City. And you can drive up through there. And there will be droves of Mexicans walking, carrying their Mary from their city down to the main church in Mexico that the priests may bless it. And they'll take Mary back and erect her in their village for the year for praying for blessings. Am I telling the truth, brother? There'll be 30 of them in a row. Some of them riding bicycles. Some of them walking. And what it takes us four hours to drive, they walk. And even further, some of them walk as far as it takes you to drive 10 hours to the main church in Mexico that their Mary may be blessed. And their Mary's not going to be blessed. Boy, when we put a church in those villages and they hear of Christ, the villages begin to be blessed. Come over and help me. Come over and help me. They're crying around the world. Come over and help me. And you know who's going to help? The only people that's going to help is people like you. There's nobody else to help. Because you know what? It's only the people of Christ that cares enough to them. And folks, I go to mission conferences all the time and hear the preacher say, would you please sacrifice? I believe when America need to replace the word sacrifice with the word inconvenience. We don't know what sacrifice is. Brother, since you've been to America, have you seen sacrifice? You saw it in Mexico. You see it in third world countries. There's somebody crying, come over and help us. You know what the message they want? Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. We were visiting in Mexico City one Saturday. 
We led 64 people to Jesus in two hours. 16 of us. Brother Luther Spivey and Brother Victor Robles was, had just led two young ladies to the Lord and was walking up the street and there's a lady up on top of a house. In Mexico City, behind every, in every house, there's a, there is a, a fence. And behind every house, every fence, there's at least one Rottweiler. Amen? <laughs> they love their Rottweilers. And you knock on the door and behind you go, <laughs> Thank God for a fence. <laughs> and uh, this lady was up on the housetop. She's hanging her clothes out. She had washed. And they have the clothesline up on top of the house. And she hollered, Wait, 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 in Spanish. Yeah. She runs down her ladder. She comes out in the street. Brother Spidey had some John and Romans in his arms. And she said, Is that a Bible? And Victoria said, See, yes. She said, Could I have one? He said, See. Gave her one of the John and Romans. And she said, Can you explain? Can you explain? And Victoria took it open and opened up to the, went through the plan of salvation with her. And he said, do you want to get saved? And she said, oh, some people from your church came by yesterday and I got saved. Said, I just wanted to hear that story again. <laughs> Woo! Boy, will that say, come over and help me. Will that put a fire under your bones to come over and help Hey folks, let's bow our heads right now.